you know what I noticed for a while now? Everybody wants to be an epidemiologist. Everybody wants to be an epidemiologist. And, you know, everybody knows where COVID is coming from. Uh, you know, none of the doctors are coming out. All of the doctors, all of the smart people that knows that know what they're talking about and know what's going on uh, or have some type of sense of what's going on, like, they're in the lab studying. But everybody else, you know, social media, Twitter, Instagram, you know, they're coming out, oh, COVID is gone. COVID is gone. None of these people went to, like, none of these, none of these people went to school to be a doctor, you know, to study science. Nobody's an epidemiologist. All the epidemiologists, all the doctors, all the scientists are in the lab working. So, (laughs) that's funny. That's funny. Everybody wants to be a doctor now. But let's get into it. Let's get into it. So, we got a good part. I got a good part for you today. I got a good part for you guys today. Um, I got a good part. (laughs) I'm back. I'm ready. I'm locked and loaded. We're gonna. Uh, this is. A, we're gonna lead. I'm gonna guide you guys into the weekend. I'm ready to go on the audio adventure. So let's start it up right now. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to IKP episode 143. Episode 143 of the Isaac Podcast. Welcome back. I'm gonna let the beat rock for a little bit. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back. Welcome back. Episode 143. Episode 143. Uh, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kid. Uh, welcome back. Shout out to everybody that's been listening. Shout out to all the first-time listeners. Shout out to all the um, people that's been listening since episode one. Shout out to all the people that's been listening since episode 142. We're glad to have you. Uh, everybody is welcomed. Uh, so... <laughs> Let's get into it. So, um, let's talk about the Lakers. Let's 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 just talk about the Lakers and how we're, we're like what is going on with the Lakers. And um, <clears throat> so they had a loss last night to the Houston Rockets, and I'm aware that LeBron didn't play. I'm aware that Russell Westbrook was out. Um, but throughout this bubble, the Lakers have been str- the Lakers have been struggling offensively. Excuse me. They've been struggling offensively, and their offensive struggles are uh, very apparent. Their offensive struggles are very apparent, and you can't really hide them. You cannot really hide these offensive struggles and what's been going on with the Lakers. So what's been going on with the Lakers? The Lakers are in real trouble. I think so. I think they have some real problems um, that, that are real and that are really big. So first, they can't hit threes. That's a problem. Um, I, you know, this bubble, I, I don't know if it's easier to shoot. I've heard, I've seen some, I've seen a video where people are, you know, people are explaining that it's easier to shoot in the bubble. The Lakers are not, the Lakers are not hitting three-point shots. They can't stop anybody from shooting threes or hitting threes, rather. And lastly, they have no third option. Now, people thought I was over-exaggerating when I said, Kyle Kuzma is the most inconsistent Laker I've seen in the last 10 years. 
people thought I was over-exaggerating. No, like, he is. He's the most erratic, he's the most sporadic and inconsistent Laker I've seen in the last 10 years. And I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. And let's just talk about this. The Lakers, as a, and I want to I wanna prove how bad the offensive struggles the Lakers, like, they have been struggling offensively and majorly. I wanna, I'm, I'm going to show you how bad, it, how bad it's gotten. As a team, the Lakers have made 37 three-point shots. Damian Leonard and Gary Trent Jr., just the two of them, have hit 43 three-pointers. They've hit 43 three-pointers, just the two of them. The Lakers, as a combined, as like a whole team, have 37 made three-point shots. Gary Trent Jr. and Damian Leonard has more three-point makes than an entire Laker roster in the bubble. Out of the 22 teams that's in the bubble, the Lakers are dead last in offensive rating. <laughs> that's not enough? Out of the 22 teams in the bubble, the Lakers are the only team in the bubble that does not average 100 points. Every, Literally, every team, even the teams that haven't won a game, like the Wizards, even the team, like Grizzlies, like even the teams that did not that have not won a game or have not been good in the bubble are averaging 100 points. They're scoring points. The Lakers are not scoring points. And offensively, out of the 22 teams, according to those numbers, they're the worst offensive team in the bubble so far. Now, now and I and speaking of the Blazers and Damian Leonard, you want to talk about you want to talk about first round. You want to talk about possible playoff scenarios, right? Because it seems like Jerry Jackson being out with Memphis. Memphis was struggling as a young team in the bubble anyway. I, I think Portland's going to get the eighth spot. They only they only a, uh, they only point five. They don't they only like a game back of Memphis now. They're, they're, I mean, they're only, they're only half a game. They're only a half a game back from Memphis now. So the Blazers are probably going to get the eighth spot. And the Phoenix Suns all of a sudden has caught on fire. Um, and they're going to the, get the ninth spot. So I think there's going to be a play-in game between the Blazers and the Suns. I will probably pick the Blazers. So the Blazers will probably be playing the Lakers in the first round. I'm not saying the Lakers won't win that series because I think they will. I, I would probably still pick the Lakers to win that series. But that's going to be a tough six or seven game series. Then the second round, they'll probably have to play the Houston Rockets. That's going to be a, and I would probably still pick the Lakers to win that round. But that would be a tough six or seven game series. And then, you know, the, the matchup that everybody's looking for is the Clippers and Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Hopefully we get that. Hopefully the Clippers can handle their business. Hopefully the Lakers can handle their business. But right now for the Lakers, it looks it's it's a real problem. It's a, it's they have real problems. And with them not being able to hit threes, it's bad enough that they're they are allowing so many three point makes. That's bad enough. But it's 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 two times bad. It, it gets two times worse because they're not hitting three point shots. So they're giving up threes. But you're not com- you're not coming back with no 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 you're not coming back with threes you're not hitting threes they're not hitting shots I think Danny Green has this you know you know how the, the, the players have the phrases most of them have the, the phrases on the back of their jersey and it, you know Danny Green phrase is how many more 
And I'm like, I'm looking at my TV screen, and I'm look, I look at it in the Lakers game, and I'm like, how many more open threes is Danny Green going to miss? Because, I mean, nobody, nobody, none of these role players that the Lakers, are, you know, that, that, that they're playing are hitting shots, and that's a problem. They're, they're, they're missing too many shots. And I, I don't know, I don't know. I just haven't seen, and it's a high-scoring league, but I haven't seen an offense struggle this bad from behind the arc. I haven't seen it. I, I, I mean, I have not seen it, and especially in this bubble. This bubble, teams are scoring left and right. The Lakers are having trouble scoring. They're having trouble scoring. So, they lack wing defense. They're wing. That's why. That's why. That's why the Avery Bradley loss is so vital. And I know I said Rondo is. I don't think Ron, I, I don't think he's the right fit for this team, or I don't think he's gonna have much impact because he hasn't. He quite hasn't had positive impact on this team yet. But Rondo does bring some toughness. Rondo. You, you, with the with the with the loss of Rondo and more so Avery Bradley, you lose that wing, that perimeter defense. You lose thirty. You lose about thirty five minutes of that because Avery Bradley was a starter. Rondo he, he was giving the Lakers minutes, so you lose about thirty five minutes of wing defense, perimeter defense that. I don't know if Contavious Caldwell Pope can fill the void. You're relying on a young Alex Caruso to fill that void. Now Rondo, I'm I heard Rondo was supposed to be back. Um, he's gonna, he, you know, Rondo's gonna be back in the next month or so. But that I think that's that's gonna be in the second round against Houston. So I don't I don't know. But that is why the Avery Bradley loss is so vital. So if you were questioning like, well, how important is Avery Bradley? He is damn important for the Lakers because with a team that lacks perimeter defense, that lacks perimeter defenders, and you're going to have to go against Portland and Houston in the first two rounds possibly, most likely you're going to have to face those two teams, those two backcourts. You're going to need perimeter defenders. You're going to need bodies on the perimeter. Simple as that. You're going to need bodies on the perimeter Going against those two teams, the Clippers not so much because the Clippers are more forward oriented. The Clippers got the, the Clippers backcourt isn't you know it's not Houston's backcourt or Portland's backcourt. Clipper the Clippers have more like that. The, a lot of their big time players are forwards, Harold and PG and Kawhi and Marcus Morris. A lot of their guys are forward. They're more forward forward oriented. So the Lakers, I think they're in trouble. I think they have some real problems. Now, I don't want to say I don't want to sound like the bear of bad news. I don't want to sound like, you know, they, 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 they're not going to make it. I, I think they can still get to the finals. I think they can still beat the Clippers. But these problems, not to not to not to be, a, you know, not to be aware of these problems and not to acknowledge them. That's a problem. <laughs> and. The Lakers have problems. And LeBron, I think LeBron knows it. I think LeBron knows it. I think LeBron sees it. Looking at that Thunder game, Chris Paul was running free. Chris Paul was running free all throughout that Thunder game. Chris Paul is 35 years of age. And he was he's 35 years old. 
He looked like the quickest guard out there. And, you know, with LeBron in, you know, I talked about the Rockets game. They didn't, the Rockets game, it was just, oh, my God. It was, it was hard to watch the Lakers offense, especially in the second quarter. And, you know, it was just hard to watch. But even with LeBron, they have struggled. And, uh, you know, major props to Chris Paul because what he's done with that Thunder team, we thought that Thunder team was going to be a team that tanked. Like, no, Chris Paul had that team playing and competitive. And I give some credit, I give some major props to Billy Donovan as well. But could you imagine if Chris Paul was out there looking like the quickest guard? Could you imagine an explosive Russell Westbrook? Could you imagine, uh, could you, I mean, could you imagine Damian Leonard, James Harden, CJ McCullough? Could you imagine what they would do with that backcourt? As far as the Lakers defensive backcourt? I mean, the way how it's looking, it's not looking too pretty. It's not looking too pretty. Um, and the, and I, I, I'm telling you guys, I think these are real problems. Uh, I'm not. I, I don't want to be the bum of bad news. I, I I think the Lakers can still win the title. I think they're still a title team. But when you're talking about the, when you're looking at the Clippers, uh, I think they have the. I think they have the most complete roster, and I think they have the best roster. In the league, when you're looking at the Celtics, they they have so many scoring options and playmakers. And when you're looking at the Bucks, they got Depp and they got Giannis and the you know Middleton's playing well. So you know, for, for the most part, when you when you're comparing the Lakers to these other title contenders, they the Lakers are they just they look too shaky. They look too shaky at times. That's that's all. They look too shaky at times. They look too shaky. Um. But that wing defense, that perimeter defense, and their three point, and their lack of three point shooting, does not help. It does not help. Also, with Kyle Kuzma, you know the third op. Like I, I, I don't know. Is he the third option? Is he? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he's the third option. But he, he's the most. Like I said, he's the most inconsistent. He's the most inconsistent Laker I've seen in the last ten years. <laughs> in the last decade. He's the most inconsistent Laker. Um, so let's shift gears, and I, and I, I'm I'm gonna touch bases on the Blazers and how they look different, and why I think they could give the Lakers a serious run for their money. I'm gonna talk about that a little later, but let's shift gears to the NFL. <laughs> and uh, it's funny, it's funny because we always have the you know it's always it's all you you can always find this type of story with this particular team, and I found this story. With the Cowboys, and we all know the Cowboys have three three talented receivers. Um, Amari Cooper. Some you got, you know, most of us don't think Amari Cooper is a top five receiver, but we all acknowledge that he's pretty good. He's he's pretty good, and the Cowboys, you know, he's he's, he's good for the Cowboys. Um, and Michael Gallup, he's turned into one of the the best. The, he's turned into one of like the best deep threats in the league. And we all know about CeeDee Lamb, the Oklahoma prospect, who's really good and really talented. But I was reading this story, and it was talking about how uh, the Cowboys could have 3,000-yard receivers. And in NFL history, when you look at NFL history, if you have 3,000-yard receivers, that means you're a Super Bowl team. That means you're a Super Bowl team. And Amari Cooper spoke on it, too. Amari Cooper said, hey, the goal for us as a receiving core is to have 3,000-yard receivers. 
And they were pretty damn close last year. Uh, Amari Cooper was a 1,000-yard receiver last year. Michael Gallup was a 1,000-yard receiver last year. And Randall Cobb uh, was their third receiver last year. Randall Cobb was close to 1,000. But with this receiving core, it's much talented because CeeDee Lamb is better than Randall Cobb right now. Right now, CeeDee Lamb is better than Randall Cobb. Um, And that's without him even playing a game yet. But I think he's better. Just Just as a talent, he's better. But we all know... The receiver position for the Cowboys isn't quite the problem. And like I said, with three, when, and history proves it. When you have 3,000-yard receivers, you are a Super Bowl team, historically. But we all know <laughs> that's not the Cowboys' problem. The Cowboys' problem is the quarterback position. It's the quarterback position. And the Cowboys, you know, they fired Jason Garrett. And I think so. I think Jason Garrett, well, I, 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 I agree with the move. I think Jason Garrett was a mediocre coach. I think for years he underperformed with one of the most talented rosters in the league most years. Most, years that, most of the years that Jason Garrett was coaching the Cowboys, he had a top 10 roster. And most years he underperformed. Now, there's some standout years where he had some 13 and threes and some 12 and fours. Like, he had a couple years like that. But for the most part, Jason Garrett's career as a Cowboys coach, mediocre. Eight and eight. That's what he was last year. He was eight and eight. And they have underperformed. But a lot of you think that Jason Garrett was the problem. And, you know, we'll see if that that's, that, that remains to still be proven. Because we have Dak. And everybody, you know, I talked about how Dak struggled last year with versus teams with winning records. Because, in, and I always say this, in order for you to be a Super Bowl team, or a legit one at least, you've got to be able to beat the league's best. Like, in the playoffs, you're going against the league's best quarterbacks. You're going against the league's best coaches. And in most playoff games, when you're playing against... Like for Dak instance, you're gonna you're gonna play against Aaron Rodgers. You're gonna play against Russell Wilson. You're gonna play against Tom Brady. You're gonna play against Drew Brees. Those are Hall of Fame level quarterbacks. In the playoffs, you play against Hall of Fame level quarterbacks and Hall of Fame level coaches. And we and everybody has stressed about the Cowboys struggling with winning teams, but if you exclude. Um, winning like when I mean winning winning teams, teams with winning wet records, they they struggle with they struggle with teams with winning records last year. But if you exclude Dak's first year where he went thirteen and three, the last three years, Dak is six and twelve versus winning teams. He is six and twelve versus winning teams. So with the Cowboys, Dak needs to prove he is not the problem. By, by, by December of 2020, we will, know, we will know who was the real problem. If it was Jason Garrett or Dak, by December of 2020, if we have a football season, which I think we will, which I'm hoping for, by December of 2020, 
we would have know, known who was the Cowboys' problem, who was holding back the Cowboys. We will know if it was Jason Garrett or Dak Prescott. Because by December, or rather by mid-December, the Cowboys, we would, we would know by then whether or not the Cowboys are a legit playoff team or are they just 8-8 eight eight once again. Because, I mean, if they go 8-8 eight eight again, we all know who, who the problem is. It's Dak. If they go 8-8 eight eight again. Because Mike McCarthy just got there. Mike McCarthy is a Super Bowl winning coach. That's, I mean, that's what everybody, I mean, you know, all the, all the anti-Jason Garrett people, that's what you all said. You said that, 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 that Jason Garrett wasn't a Super Bowl winning coach. He wasn't a coach that won big games. And you're right. He, he's not. He didn't, he didn't win a lot of big games. He didn't, he didn't, have, a, he didn't have great history with, um, with, with other great coaches. You're right. You're absolutely right. But Mike McCarthy is a Super Bowl winning coach. Mike McCarthy has won playoff games. Mike McCarthy has a high win percentage. So you can't use that. So if the Cowboys do go eight and eight this year, if they go eight and eight, or if they go nine and seven, and they miss the playoffs, we all know who it was. We all know who who was holding back the Cowboys because we know the Cowboys' real problem is not the receiver position. The Cowboys' problem is, or where we would know if it's Dak or if it was Jason Garrett. Now Dak and the Cowboys go ten and six, eleven and five. They win the division. Okay, Dak is, Dak is going to get paid $130 million because he's going to get a new deal because he got, he got a 10-6 record. He's going to get a new deal. But if they fall below that like a limbo and they go 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven and miss the playoffs, you, you, come on, you can wrap it up. You can wrap it up because the Cowboys will be on the market looking for a new quarterback. Simple as that. They'll be on the market looking for a new quarterback if that happens. If that happens, they'll be on the they'll be on the market looking for a new quarterback. Simple as that. And you know, the Cowboys, they play Baltimore, they play the Steelers, they play the Seahawks, they play the Rams. Those are teams, those are those are teams that are playoff teams. Those are playoff teams. Those are legit playoff teams. And the Cowboys got a couple games in there sprinkled in there. They got some tough games. They got some tough games sprinkled in there. Like games like Baltimore, uh, the Pittsburgh game, the Philadelphia game, uh, the, 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 the Eagles game, the 49ers game. That's the game I want, the Seahawks game. Those are the games I want to see the Cowboys. I don't care about the cow, how they look against the Giants. I don't care how they look against Washington. I don't care. Like, because that, that, I mean, that is going to crush them. Dak has been crushing him his whole career. He's been crushing the Giants in the Wash in Washington his whole career. I, I, so you know, people gonna oh, I I don't want no, 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 don't, don't, don't blow me up when, when Dak puts thirty on the Giants' head. Don't, don't, don't blow me up. No, talk to me after the Philadelphia game. Talk to me after the Seahawks game. Talk to me after the Baltimore game. Those are, those are teams that you're going to have to play in the playoffs. Am I right or wrong? You're going to have to play those teams in the playoffs. 
You're going to have to play the Seattles. You're going to have to play the, the, the Eagles. You're going to have to play the Eagles to get to the playoffs. You're going to have to play. You're going to have to play teams like the 49ers. I want to see the Cowboys against those teams. Not the Browns. Not the Bengals. Not the Giants. I can care less what they do against the Giants. I can care less. I want to see them against the big dogs. The Seahawks and the and the and the, and the Steelers. I want to see that. I want to see them again. I want to see Dak and that offense play the Steelers defense. That's what I want to see. I want to see how Dak looks against Baltimore's secondary. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to see. I, I don't want to see Dak and the Cowboys beat the uh, the Giants for the twentieth time. <laughs> I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. He's gonna beat the Giants for the tenth time. I don't. I don't. I don't see. I don't want to see the. I don't see. I don't want to see him play Washington. It's a rivalry game. So, but I mean, I don't want to see him play Washington. What is he gonna look like against Seattle? What is he gonna look like against that front seven that Pittsburgh has, or that secondary that Baltimore has? That is the real question. That is the real question for me. That's the real question for me, guys. I want to see what Dak looks like against winning teams. Because in the last three years, he's 6-12. And, and last year, that was the talk, of the, that was the, talk of, the, of the story. That was the talk of the town. The Cowboys struggling against winning teams. And, everybody, and, all, the, and all, the, all the people that's pro-Dak think that that was just one, that was a one-year thing. No, 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 no. If you exclude Dak's rookie year, he's been struggling for the last three years versus winning teams. He's six and twelve in eighteen games. He's six and twelve. He looks like a totally different quarterback when he plays against winning teams. So let's move on to the Blazers. I've been talking well of the Blazers lately. Um, you know, with the first segment with the Lakers. Uh, so the Blazers are a different team. Before the bubble, uh, the Blazers, they didn't look good. I, I, I think I bashed them a couple times on how they look. I, I, I think I, ba- I bashed the Lakers. I mean, I bashed the Blazers a couple times on how they look, on how bad their defense was. Um, but Nurkic is now back healthy. Zach Collins, who Nurk first Nurkic is one of the best players that like we don't talk about. That fans and the media really don't talk about. Nurkic is a back to the basket big. He could, he's a guy that can easily average eighteen to nineteen to eleven rebounds. I mean nineteen points to eleven rebounds. He's that type. He's that good. We don't, but we don't talk about Nurk. I don't know, maybe because he's not athletic and he's, I don't know, but we don't talk about Nurkic enough because he's really, a, he's really a, a big part of what the Blazers do, as you can see. Um, he has great hands for a big man, got a good shooting touch, can finish around the rim. Zach Collins, he is back healthy. I think he has a, he, Zach Collins is going to be a starter in this league for the next uh, six to eight years. He's that like he's that he's that skilled as a player. So the Blazers, we all know about Damian Litter and Sidney McCollum. We all know how explosive they are and you know what they can do when they get hot. But I think the big thing, which is I don't think it's surprising to me, 
But I am glad to see it um, happening with this particular player, and it's Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony, it's never been a talent issue with Carmelo because the talent is there. I mean, Carmelo in his – because right now he's not in his prime. But Carmelo in his prime is much – he's much more talented than Steph Curry. Carmelo in his prime is talented than a lot of players. I mean, as a, he's one of the best offensive – he's one of the best scorers in my generation. Carmelo Anthony, he's one of the best scorers in my generation. And he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. But the thing that separates LeBron and Kobe and Jordan and Magic and all these guys that win titles and that we see in the Mount Rushmore and that we have in our top 10, the difference between those guys, it's not that Carmelo, it's not that those guys are just so much better than Carmelo or so much more talented than Carmelo because they're not. They're, they're, they're not. Melo has talent. It's never been a talent issue with Melo. But I feel like with Melo, there's been a commitment issue, uh, being fully committed in him, you know, self, having, having you know, self, self-awareness, self-awareness with Carmelo Anthony. And he has definitely matured and grown as a player. And he's, he's accepted his role in Portland. Portland for years. Portland, I think, like, I'm not even exaggerating. I'm not even exaggerating. Portland for, for years, they have been looking for a small forward, a wing player, another wing player to, to, to score the basketball. Like, for ye- like, I can go back as far as Brandon Roy. When they had Brandon Roy and LaMarcus Aldridge and they, and, and they lost Nicholas Patum, they've been, since they lost Nicholas Patum, they have been looking for a small forward that can score the basketball. They just haven't got it. They just haven't got it. That's how long with Damian Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge. And then when they lost, when they lost uh, Nicholas Patum, they've been looking for a wing score for years. And Carmelo fills that role and fills that void perfectly. He's a nice spot-up shooter. He's accepting his role. He seems more. He he has he has more self-awareness. Um, he's got he you know he's in shape. He's never going to be a great defender, but he's gotten in shape to where he's capable of, of of giving a lot of effort on defense, which he has. He's given some effort on defense. Carmelo Anthony, yes. He's given effort on the descent, on the defensive side of the basketball, and I think that's the one difference with the Blazers. Yeah, they got Nurkic back. Nurkic is back healthy, which is a big, which is a, I mean, which is very key. Zach Collins is back healthy, which is key. You talking about two starters right there, but Carmelo Anthony has filled in his role perfectly with the Blazers. He's hit some clutch shots in the bubble. I mean, he's had some. He's had a couple clutch moments in the bubble. So, I think Carmelo. He's 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 impactful. He's he's impactful. He has an impactful role on a playoff team, on a legit playoff team, which is really good for a 36 year old Carmelo Anthony. For you know, and it's it shows his growth from where he was back in OKC a couple years back, where. He wasn't fully accepting taking a back seat. Carmelo didn't want to take a back seat. He didn't want to take a back seat in Oklahoma City. 
but he has grown. He's got more self-awareness. He's got better self-awareness. And that's the difference between um, Le- the LeBrons, the Kobe's, the Jordans. That's the difference because talent has never been Carmelo's issue. Like, like Carmelo's always been good enough, but it's been the commitment, um, you know, not always being in the best shape and self-awareness. Carmelo has all three down packed. He has the self-awareness. He's fully committed with the Blazers. And he's in shape. He don't look out of shape. He don't look big. He don't look husky. He looks in shape. So that's where that's where the Blazers, I think, have got better at. And then, like I said, we already know how dangerous Dame and CJ is. We know how dangerous they are. That's the one. That's the one difference with the Blazers. Carmelo Anthony having an, having an impactful role. That's the difference with the Blazers. I'm telling you, that is the difference, and that's why I think they're going to get the eighth spot. And that's why I think they can they they could they could legitimately take the Lakers to six or second games. I wouldn't be mad if somebody argument argued that. Hell, I'm arguing right now. I think they could take the Lakers to six games or seven, possibly. I would still pick the Lakers to win the series because I think I think with LeBron having LeBron on the floor and Anthony Davis having the two best players on the floor, I think it cancels cancels some of some of the, some of it out, and I think they'd be able to overcome those you know those problems. But I I I think the Blazers can win two or three games. I think they can win two or three games. Not to mention Hassan Whiteside is on a contract year. He got he's on a contract. It, it seems like every every time I'm, I'm I kid you not. Every time Hassan Whiteside is in a contract year, he balls out. I'm not even kidding. It's like every three or four years he balls out when he's on a contract. When when that contract is when that contract is almost up, Hassan Whiteside balls out. Now when he got a fully loaded deal. You know, he takes a back seat. He chills a little bit. He chills a little bit. But it's a contract year for Hassan Whiteside. So he, he he's balling out every time. I mean, I kid you not, in Miami, when it was, when it was contract year in Miami, he balled out. This year, he's been balling out. It's a contract year for, for, for Hassan Whiteside. Then Gary Trent Jr., I talked about him earlier. He, I mean, he looks confident every time he shoots it. Every time Gary Trent Jr. shoots it, it looks good. Even if he misses, it looks good because he is so confident about the shot. Every shot he put up, it looks confident. He looks confident, and he looks like it's going to go in. Even if it doesn't, it still look good. It's like, damn, that look good. The next one he shoots, it's going to go in. <laughs> it's going to go in. I'm, I'm, I kid you not. I kid you not. That's, that's what I think about the Blazers. And let's. And I'm gonna piggyback on the Lakers. I think Le, like this shows how good LeBron is. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to do this. But this, this like this really shows how good LeBron is. And I talked about this last week when the Lakers beat the Clippers. After the Lakers beat the Clippers, I came on here and I said, you know, the one thing the Lakers have going for themselves that I think they have over the Clippers. It's chemistry. Chemistry and camaraderie. And they have it over the Clippers just based off the fact that the Clippers, they can't get healthy. Like, the Clippers always missing somebody. 
And I think that, you know, once they get back whole, they'd be a complete team. And I think they'd be the, the most complete team in the league. But the Lakers, they, 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 have the, they, have, they, have, they have more chemistry than the Clippers. And that's the one thing I gave the Lakers the edge over the Clippers. It's chemistry and camaraderie. But I'd say, even when I said those statements about the chemistry with the Lakers, I also said, when you look at this roster on paper, does this roster even fit? Like, do, do they even fit? Does, does this roster even fit? I, I, I mean, I kid you not. You got J.R. Smith. You got Deion Waiters. Alex Caruso. It's kind of like a, a comedy show. It, it, I mean, it's a lot. It, I mean, it's a lot of it's a lot of Instagram memes. It's a lot of Twitter memes with Dion Waiters and J.R. Smith, Alice Caruso, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, and you know I don't want to say it like that, like, but I mean, because JaVale McGee he's played some critical roles on some championship teams and he's doing so right now, but. It, you know, it's just a, it's a whole lot of guys on this team with a lot of personalities. It's a lot of personalities, and it shows you how good LeBron is. Um, and like I said, you, like, you saw it last night against the Rockets. When you remove LeBron, the Lakers look like the Pelicans. When you remove LeBron and it's just Anthony Davis and the rest of the Lakers squad, it looks just like the Pelicans 2.0. Tell me I'm not going crazy. Tell, tell me I'm not going crazy. Or tell me I'm, I'm over-exaggerating. Hmm. I'll wait. No, I'm not over-exaggerating. I'm not. This, the, 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 the Lakers without LeBron James looks like the Pelicans 2.0. It looks like the Pelicans 2.0. And that goes back to my point about Anthony Davis. I know he's great. I know Anthony Davis is great. He's talented. He's talented as hell. He's probably the most covenant college basketball player to come out of college basketball in the last 10 years. He's the most covenant player in the last 10 years to come out of college basketball. Probably second to Zion, but I think he's a little bit more talented than Zion. I think his ceiling is much more high. I think his ceiling is higher than Zion. So you're talking about the most talented player coming out of college in the last 10 years. That's how good Anthony Davis is. But does he makes up does he does Anthony Davis make others better? Does he does he makes others others better? Like does Anthony Davis make others better? I don't I don't know. I don't know if he does. That's why when people say, oh, well, Anthony Davis, he leads the Lakers in, in scoring. Uh okay. You know, like half of those points that Anthony Davis scores. Half his points come off LeBron's assists. Uh, oh, 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 you don't want to talk about that, though. That's my only thing with Anthony Davis. I like Anthony Davis. I love Anthony Davis. I think he's a great player. He's Tim Duncan, just a more athletic version. He's a more athletic version than Tim Duncan. That's, why, that's how I feel. I'm not saying Tim Duncan. I'm not saying... He, he, you know, he's a top 10 player of all time. No, 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 no. Don't go that far. But he's a, he's a more athletic version of Tim Duncan. But does he make others better? Does he elevate players around him? Does he? Does he really? 
Does he make Danny Green better? Uh, nah. That's why this that's why this Lakers squad looks like the Pelicans 2.0. That's why I always push back on on some of these people when they say, "Oh, Anthony Davis, he he he's the Lakers' best player. He leads them in scoring." Okay. Don't you know LeBron Half of Anthony Davis' points come off LeBron's assists. Anthony Davis without LeBron on the floor, the Lakers look really average. Their offense, all like literally every offensive stat go downward when Anthony Davis is on the floor and LeBron James is not. You realize that LeBron is still better than Anthony Davis, and I'm not even sure if it's close. You realize that, right? He's still better than Anthony Davis. LeBron is still better than Anthony Davis. That's no shot to Anthony Davis because LeBron is still better than everybody. (laughs) But his impact is unquestionable, and he makes others better. He elevates others around him. Anthony Davis is just talented. He's just talented. He's just talented and has a lot of skill. He's talented and has a lot of skill. He's a great defender. He's a walking 35 points a night if he wanted to. But he's just talented. He doesn't elevate others. He doesn't make better. He doesn't, he, he's not a leader. And he doesn't have to be. A, he don't have to be the leader of this team because LeBron is. But LeBron, Anthony Davis don't elevate others. He's a big man, for God's sake. He's a big. He's a big. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't control the tempo of the game. He's a big. He's a big. LeBron is much more impactful. LeBron is much more viable. LeBron is much better. And it's not even close. (laughs) It's not even close. It's not even close. It's not even close. LeBron on the floor. LeBron with the Lakers. Number one seed in the Western Conference. LeBron off the Lakers. New Orleans Pelicans, Los Angeles Pelicans 2.0. The Los Angeles Pelicans 2.0. I ain't lying. I, 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 am, am I over exaggerating? I'm not over exaggerating. And I don't want to sound like before. I don't want to sound like I'm pressing the panic button with the Lakers. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. But these are real problems that they have. You gotta acknowledge them. They're real problems that they have, and. Boy, it, it, it's not looking too good. But speaking of real problems, speaking of real problems, so the 76ers, you know, <laughs> first, you know how you have this relationship. You, you know, you're in this relationship, right? You and your partner. You guys been going at this for a, couple, a few years now. You guys been, you know, going with each other for a few years. And um, you guys try all sorts of things, therapy, uh, you know, you, you guys try to take a break here and there, but you guys always find some way to get back together. You know, it's a real toxic relationship, Robert. So, the 76ers, I mean, how many more years are we going to give the 76ers to work out this thing with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? I mean, I mean, like, literally, how many years is it going to take before... We, like we just dis like before we before you have to trade one of these stars. This is year what three or four, 
this is three or four years in the making where they're, they're going into a playoff run and I'm not even sure if they can run around. And I get this. The 76ers are the Cowboys of the NBA. You know how, the, you know how the, in the NFL, we have, we, you know, the Cowboys in most years, we have all these high expectations for the Cowboys because they have such a good roster. Their roster is, you know, mo- most years it's well-balanced. They got some offensive weapons. They got some defensive playmakers. And we always, we always have this high expectations for the Cowboys. And um, then most years, you know, they go 8-8 eight and eight, or they go 9-7 and seven, or, you know, they get to the playoffs but don't win a playoff game. That's the 76ers of the NBA. We, for the last three, four years, the 76ers have had some really good rosters. And we have just marveled over the fact, wow, look at this young team. Look at these two young stars that they have. We, they, like, we always have put some high expectations. Even last year with Jimmy Butler and J.J. Redick and that, you know, that whole team that they had last year, a lot of people picked that team to get out of the Eastern Conference and get to the NBA Finals. A lot of people did. A lot of people did. And, I mean, they weren't, I mean, I mean, before, you know, in retrospect, just looking at the, the roster, they weren't wrong. <laughs> I mean, looking at the roster, they weren't wrong. Looking at the team that they had last year, they, they could have got out of the Eastern Conference. I, I feel like, I mean, hell, I think they probably had the best starting five in the Eastern Conference, if you tell me. But they didn't. And they've been underachieving for years. Uh, they've had some talented rosters. I mean, they've had they they've they have they have just switched out roster pieces and they've made so many moves and trades. They traded away Robert Cutter. They traded away Dario Sarri. They brung in Al Horford. They brung in Jimmy Butler. They had JJ Reddick. I mean, they have made so many tweaks and little knickknacks with this roster. Still doesn't work. You know, going into the bubble, they said they announced, "Hey, Ben Simmons is gonna he's gonna move to the power forward position." Uh, you know, I, I, you know that hasn't worked. They struggled to put the Washington Wizards away. They struggled to put the Washington Wizards away. A Wizards team without none of their leading scores. I mean, a Wizards team that just has not looked good and hasn't won a game in the bubble. Get this: the Wizards have been so bad in the bubble, the Charlotte Hornets have passed the Wizards in the standings. And the Charlotte Hornets weren't even invited to the bubble. The Hornets are not even playing. And they passed the Wizards in the standings. That's how bad the Wizards have been in the bubble. The 76ers, the talented 76ers struggled to put that Washington like Ben Simmons when he got they should he should have been playing they I mean they should they should have blew out Washington they should have blew Washington out the water in the first ten minutes they, they I mean they should have they should have blew out Washington in the first ten minutes but I, I I just don't know how many like the you know Brett Brown he struggles to get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid on the right page. You know, they, they, they try different systems. They, you know, they, 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 they bring in star and key role player after role player and star. Like, they try Al Horford. They, they have no leadership. They have no chemistry. 
They've struggled on the road because of lack of chemistry, lack of leadership. Even they bring in Al Horford. Al Horford has been a great veteran, great veteran presence in the locker room. He was that for the Celtics. Uh, he was that for Atlanta for a little bit. He he don't even work in Philadelphia. He don't even work in Philadelphia. I mean, he struggled in Philadelphia. So like I'm like, oh my god. Like how many how many more how many more times do we gotta try this Philadelphia thing? The seventy sixers do not work. They do not fit. Ben Simmons and B don't fit. Ben Simmons, I I mean he don't wanna shoot a jump shot. I don't know what it is. I don't know if he can't shoot. I don't know if he don't wanna shoot. I mean his mechanics don't look bad. Hell, I heard he went to a psychologist. I mean it, it's not that deep. It's not that deep. And B, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, he's a he's a great player. And B is a great player when he's healthy. But I mean, you know, he he's had his health problems. Oh, boy, <laughs> it's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess to even think about it. The Seventy Sixers are a mess, even when you're just thinking about it. Talented as hell. Talented as hell. And we have we always had, you know, in the last three, four years, we always have had these high expectations. But boy, just like the Cowboys, the, the 76ers are the Cowboys of the NBA. Great rosters. <laughs> Great rosters. You know, these high expectations, but they just fall right below them. They just fall right below. They fall right below the expectations. They fall right below. I mean, oh my god, oh my gosh, bro, oh my god, it, it, it's crazy to think about it. They, 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 you know, they, they, they struggle on the road. That's because they don't have no chemistry. They lack leadership. They, they, I mean, they, they keep switching Ben Simmons' position. They keep rearranging their roster. Brett Brown, he struggles to. Find the right system and what happened? Like, oh my gosh! What I mean? What what are we talking about here? What are we talking about here? They need to they need to give it up. The Sixers need to give it up. And you know, I I, I have I've given you know I've been raving about this team and the roster that they have all year long, but it's the simple fact that um you know. They they, they they fall below expectations. They they fall below expectations. They fall below expectations. And every time you think it's Philly's year, everybody tell me it's Philly's year. It's Philly's year, and I'm like, boy, oh boy. I, I, they, they 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 never they never just seem to break through. And this year they gonna probably be out in the first round because they they are six seed right now. They're in the sixth place. They play the Celtics in the first round. That's an L. Sorry, that's an L. And I know the 76ers, they're talented. But, I mean, who cares about talent at this point? They got no chemistry. They got no camaraderie. I'm not even sure Ben Simmons and Embiid like each other. They say they want to play with each other. But when I look at them and when I see them play, it looks like a whole different thing. It look, it, they, look, they don't look like they like each other. I mean, you know, one can't shoot, one can't stay. I don't know. How many, I don't know. I just don't know how many years we're gonna like 
like, and I feel bad for the Sixers fans because how many years are your fans going to have to endure Ben Simmons and Brett Brown, MB, and I'm not saying trade everybody and do the tanking thing again, but move one of these young stars while they still have value. Which one do you move? I don't know. That's above my pay rate. That's why. That's above my pay rate. That's above my pay rate. They need to do that. They like 70, 76ers front office need to figure that out. Who do you trade away? And you know what do their value look like? Because you can get a lot for Ben Simmons. You can get a lot for Joel Embiid. But who do you want to keep? Who do you want to trade away? That's for the 76ers to figure out. But whether or not should they trade one of them? Yeah. And Brett Brown, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what you do with him. You, do you fire him? I, I, I mean, after all these years, you know, he, him struggling to find the right system. Uh, he, he can't get the Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid thing right, so I don't know. I like Brett Brown. He comes from Greg Popovich, the coaching tree of Greg Popovich. But it just, you know, it's, it's just, it's just, it just hasn't worked out. It just hasn't worked out with seven singles. It just hasn't. I'm sorry. It just hasn't worked out. <laughs> what, what you want me to say? It hasn't worked out. So interesting enough, um, <clears throat> I was talking to a friend of mine, and he, he's really big on college football, and we were talking about the Big Ten. We were talking about the Big Ten and the expectations for the Big Ten because we were talking about Maryland football and so forth. And then we got into Harbaugh and Michigan, of course. And he was like, it wouldn't surprise me if, Harbaugh got fired. I'm like, why would Harbaugh get fired? <laughs> He's like, can't beat Ohio State. And then, you know, you guys already know how I feel about Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan situation and how I think he has brought that program back to where it has always been um, historically. When they when, when Michigan State was at, when Michigan, excuse me, when Michigan, when Michigan was at its best, um, they were a 9 to 10 win program. That's what, historically, that's what Michigan has been. Um, and then there was a report that said, hey, Jim Harbaugh called out um, Ryan Day on practice violations on a Zoom call, on a conference call, or so forth. And it just got me thinking. It was like, okay. So first, Ryan Day at Ohio State, um, he's been there for what, a, two and a half years maybe? I think about, about two and a half years he's been there. He's been real dominant. Ryan Day's been real dominant. Um, the teams that he's had, he's been he's been practically unbeatable. Like literally, he's been unbeatable. Um, <laughs> he, I think he lost like one, what, two games, one game, and that was the Clemson game. Uh, so before the Clemson game, he was undefeated as a coach. But uh, I do find it I, it was bold by Jim Harbaugh, and Jim Harbaugh, as we all know, he has he makes some bold decisions. He, he's done. He's made some bold. He's done some bold actions, but this is the type of thing uh, where people get to talking about Jim Harbaugh, and you know they're saying, "Oh, Jim Harbaugh's on the hot seat. He's on the hot seat." Those Michigan boosters are tired of winning nine and ten games on a yearly basis, and and then that, and you know what I'm gonna say. That's what Michigan football. Has always been. They're they're never gonna be. They're never gonna. Be, they're never gonna beat Ohio State. Now with Jim Harbaugh, could he beat Ohio State once? Okay, sure, yeah. 
But I mean, for for the majority of his time that he's been at Michigan, Urban Meyer has been at Ohio State, and we did this. If you take, if you give me Alabama's, uh, USC's, Ohio State's, and Oklahoma's best coach of all time, if you give me their best coach in school history, nobody is beating them. And I think there's a dip, like I always have said, Michigan is a tier two program as far as college football and power five conferences. It is a tier two program. It's in the class with LSU and Florida and uh, Notre Dame and Texas. Michigan has never been on the, on the level of Ohio State. Simple as that. It has never been on the on the level of Ohio State. Michigan, I don't know why the me I don't know if the media does it. I don't know if the Michigan boosters or the Michigan alumni, but we always just seem to overrate Michigan and Notre Dame. We always we always overrate Notre Dame and Michigan. But I always I always back Jim Hallball and Brian Kelly. I always back those coaches because Brian Kelly is a guy that's winning 10 games, 10, 11 games at Notre Dame. Got to a national championship. Didn't end well, but he got there. He's been to the college football playoff. What, like, that's what Notre Dame has been. Notre Dame has never been on the level. Um, and, or I don't, like, it's never been a tier one program. It's always been a tier two program. And Michigan and Notre Dame, particularly, they have high academic standards. They have, they have high academic standards. So they, they, like, they're never going to be the tier one program that Alabama is or that USC was or that Oklahoma is in Ohio State. Like Those, to me, are the tier one schools. If you give those schools their best coach of all time, none of the schools below in tier two beats them. That's a bet. None of them beats them. None of them. LSU, Michigan, Texas. You give Alabama Saban. You give Ohio State uh, Urban Meyer. Uh, Yeah, Urban Meyer's their best coach. You give Oklahoma Bob Stoops, Burry Switzer. You give... Those four programs, their best coach of all time, they're not losing. They're not losing. They're not. They're not losing. They're not. And I just think Michigan, they've always been a bit overrated. And the boosters, yeah, they're paying Jim Harbaugh $9 million a year uh, to win 9 and 10 games. That's what Michigan has been. Yeah. Brady Hoke was winning six and a half. Brady Hulk is winning six games a year. Jim Harbaugh, he turns around everywhere. Everywhere Jim Harbaugh goes, he wins. He t- and it seems like he seamlessly turns around uh, their football team. Like Stanford wasn't a power. Jim Harbaugh two years made them a power. Uh, goes for, he Jim Harbaugh goes to the 49ers. He makes them one of the best teams in the league for years. Uh, now he, he's in Michigan. Michigan was a six-win team with Brady Hulk. Jim Harbaugh goes to Michigan. 
He wins 9 and 10 games on a yearly basis. But because he's not beating Ohio State, it's a problem. Who's beating Ohio State? Who else? I mean, like, name the bunch of teams that's beating Ohio State on a yearly basis. I'm not talking about, like, the little, the, I'm not talking about the little upsets. That, no, 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 forget that. I'm not, not talking about that. I'm talking about on a yearly basis, who beats Ohio State? Who? Alabama? Oh, yeah, they got Nick Saban. Who? Clemson with Trevor Lawrence and Dabo Sweeney in, 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 in their recruiting classes? Yeah, okay. Those are the only teams that could beat Ohio State. Literally, those are the only teams. Those are the only teams that can beat Ohio State. Alabama or Clemson. On a yearly basis, and maybe Oklahoma. On a yearly basis, there's only two teams that could possibly beat Ohio State on a yearly basis. Alabama and Clemson. And Clemson barely got past Ohio State last year. Clemson barely got past Ohio State last year. And and Clemson had Trevor Lawrence. Clemson had Dabo. Clemson had those receivers on the outside and, and Travis ATM. Like, you're not just beating Ohio State on a yearly basis. I'm sorry. I don't know why Michigan fans, I don't know why the boosters of Michigan, I don't know why they think they're Ohio, they're, you're not on Ohio State's level. You never, you never have. You're not right now. And you never will be. You never will be. You won't, you won't never be on Ohio State's level. You won't. So, let's move on to the NBA. This is going to be my last topic, by the way. Uh, because I think it, it, it highlights um, two of my points that I've been making about both of these teams. Uh, and, it, it, and it showed. It showed in one game. And how miraculous is that? Both of my points on these two teams showed all in one game. So I watched the Milwaukee Bucks in the Miami in the Miami Heat game last night, and it was a pretty good game. The Heat came out early. They struck, they struck early, and their biggest lead was twenty six points. So they had the Bucks up by twenty six points, um, and that goes to my point about the Bucks, a team that the, like the Miami Heat. They're a great team, and I mean, well, they're a good team, not great. They're a good team. Uh, I think Eric Sprocher is a great coach. I think he's one of the most underrated coaches in the league. But with a team, with with a Heat team with no Jimmy Butler and Gordon Dragic, that might like Milwaukee should not be trailing twenty six points in the first half to a to a Miami Heat team with no Jimmy Butler or Gordon Dragic. They should not. They should absolutely. They should not be down. 26 points. And that is the downside to Milwaukee. That's the downside that I've been talking about with Milwaukee. They come out, they, the, 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 the slow starts, um, the, these questionable losses, Chris Middleton being shaky and inconsistent or just disappearing in the fourth quarter. Now, I must admit, Chris Middleton and Giannis played well down the stretch, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna get to why they played well down the stretch when I talk about the Miami Heat. But they did play well down the stretch. 
Uh, Middleton and, 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 and um, Giannis both had 33 points. Middleton was very efficient. But why were they down? They should not be down 26 points to the, to Miami Heat with no Jimmy Butler and no Gordon Dragic. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be down 26 points. They should. They shouldn't be down 26 points. But my, my, my main point that I want to get to is with the Miami Heat. And I've been making this point with the Miami Heat um, for a while. When, you know, because when, the, Heat, the Heat have, unlike most teams in the Eastern Conference and in the league, quite frankly, the Heat has had some success with playing the Milwaukee Bucks. They've beaten the Bucks actually two times, I believe. I think they beat the Bucks two times. So they beat the Bucks multiple times, and they have had success against the Bucks. And some of that is due to uh, Bam Adebayo being as versatile as he is, and him being able to stay in. Like Bam has the size um, and the agility and the speed and the athleticism to keep up with Giannis. So I think that's a big. Re- I think that's a big reason why. The Heat match up well, or they give Milwaukee fits because they the Heat have somebody that they can like they can put on Giannis, and that's the first point. That's the first like point of emphasis to trying to beat the Bucks. You gotta build the wall. You gotta have somebody that can stay in front of Giannis, but they gotta have the length. They gotta have the athleticism, the the uh, the agility to keep up with him. But with the Heat, I've been talking about the Heat all year long, and I like how the way they play defense. Uh, they're, they're, they're locked in. They have a system. Eric Spoelstra, like I said, Eric Spoelstra is a good coach. But they rely on a lot of young guys. The, the Miami Heat rely on a lot of young guys, and that's why I never quite, I never quite saw them as a team that can make it out the Eastern Conference. I, now, I do acknowledge, like I said, I acknowledge they give Milwaukee a lot of fits. And some, most of that is due to part Bam Adebayo being able to match up with, with Giannis. They give, they give Milwaukee problems as far as matchups. They give Miami problems. I mean, they give Milwaukee problems as far as matchups. But the Heat, they're relying on young Tyler Hero. They're, they're relying on young uh, Duncan Robinson. And those are good players. They're good players, and they played their roles really well. And they feel they 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 fit the Heat culture, along with Kendrick Nunn. He had a bad shooting night last night, and that's what I mean. Hot like they're relying on a lot of young guys to play some big minutes in some key roles and to hit some shots. But how does that fare out in the playoffs? And last night. When they needed buckets, because the Heat, they, 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 you know, like I said, the Heat had a big lead. The Bucks came back, you know, down the stretch in the fourth quarter. The Heat needed buckets, and they couldn't, they, they couldn't get it. They couldn't get them because no, 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 Jimmy Butler, no Dragic. So you had, you had here, you had Tyler Hero, you had Kendrick Nunn, like I said, who struggled all night. Uh, Duncan Robinson, great three point shooter. Uh, had Iguodala out there. Iggy's, you know, he's offensively limited, um, especially at this point of his career. Uh, Olenek, he's limited. Jay Crowder, he's limited. So there's some limitations with the Heat. Um, and it's, I mean, it's especially with missing Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic. 
But that's that that goes back to my point. They and I was telling I was telling somebody that I know he's a Heat fan. He's he's a big Heat fan. And I was telling I was like, when I look at when I match the Heat up against the Bucks, the Raptors, and the Celtics, you know what the Heat don't have, or you know what you know you know what the Heat. It's not necessarily what they don't have, but what these other teams like the Toronto with the Celtics, with the the Bucks, even the Bucks. The Celtics and the Raptors, they have guys that have playoff like playoff experience. And the Miami Heat guys don't. They don't they don't they don't have they haven't played in that atmosphere. They haven't. They haven't experienced that. And that I think that, I think that is the key difference. Even in the bubble, even with not, not even with no being with no home court advantage, no true home court advantage, I still think experience and having playoff experience is key. And that's the one thing that separates, I, in my opinion, from that's, that's the one thing that separates the Celtics, the Raptors, and the Bucks past the Heat. The Heat relying on a lot of young guys, undrafted guys, good players. They turned out to be solid and good players. But Tatum and Jalen Brown and, and Marcus Smart, these guys have played in playoff series. They, they played against in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Raptors, they won a championship. They, they played in a multitude of playoff series. Even the Bucks, they played in playoff series and playoff games. But this young Heat team haven't experienced that yet. They haven't experienced that yet. And I think that's going to be a learning curve that they're going to have to go through. Because you got to learn. you gotta, that, that, like you got to play these games. So they get playoff exposure. That's the same. I mean, a couple years back. When 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 um when the Celtics played LeBron the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Celtics by that you know Jason Tatum was a, a rookie, uh, Jalen Brown was a second year player. Like Terry Rozier was young, Marcus Smart was still relatively younger. Like those guys didn't have the playoff success that they had, I mean the playoff experience that they had two three years ago. They didn't have it. But now fast forward now those guys are seasoned. Like Jason Tatum, gonna hit, he I can trust Tatum to hit big shots in playoff games. The same goes for Jalen Brown. The same thing goes for Marcus Smart. I can I, I see them having big moments. What's what are the Heat? What are the Heat young core gonna do? What is Bam and Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn? What do those guys look like in a playoff atmosphere in a playoff series? Against a Toronto or a Milwaukee or a Boston, that is the that that's that's what we have to see with the Miami Heat, and I think that's what they're lacking, and I think that is I think that's the learning curve that they gotta get over. That is why that is that is why I've never been huge on the Heat. They're relying on a lot of young guys, undrafted guys, and I think experience pays off, and I think that's the those three teams that I continue to name. Bucks, Celtics, Raptors, they have that over the Heat. And that's why I think the Heat, you know, they I don't think they'll make a conference. I think they'll win the first. I think they'll win a series. But, you know, they're going to probably have to go against the Bucks, And I think that would be a good series. But I think the Bucks will outlast them due to the experience. Due to the experience, I think the Bucks will outlast them. Uh, because the Heat struggled last night to get buckets. Down the stretch, when they needed a bucket, they struggled to get a bucket. Duncan Robinson struggled. Kendrick Nunn struggled. Tyler Hero struggled. They struggled to get a bucket down the stretch. I think that's what separates Boston, Toronto, and Milwaukee. 
Um, so we're gonna get up out of here, guys. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the IKP. Um, this is your boy, Isaiah Kidd. I'm your host. We had a good pod today. We had a really good pod. We had a really good pod today. Um, I enjoyed this. This was really good. Uh, NBA playoffs right around the corner. NBA bubble is good. It's, it's good. These games are intense. You know, if you're one of the ones that's like, ah, oh, I can't really get with the bubble, these games are intense. These are good games. Most of these games are good games. Mostly, a lot of these games are going down to the wire. Like a lot of these, it's a lot of close games. Not a lot of blowouts. It's not a lot of blowouts. It's a lot of close games, and these games are highly competitive, intense, play with a lot of energy. I would check these games out. Um, but yeah, we are done here. We are done. We are done. I hope everybody has a great weekend. Um, continue to tune in to this podcast. Spread the love. Spread the uh, spread this podcast um, to people you know that love sports or like sports, watch sports, whatever. Uh, spread this podcast or just want knowledge because we spread knowledge. But thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. I'm out. Deuces. Always remember, two choices, one decision, gone.